On January 5, 2023, Ovidio Guzman Lopez was arrested by Mexican police in the city of Culiacán, Sinaloa. Guzman's father, Joaquín El Chapo Guzman, is currently serving a life sentence in the United States in connection with his leadership of the Sinaloa cartel, the largest drug trafficking syndicate in the world. Following his father's arrest, the younger Guzman had taken on a major role in the Sinaloa cartel's operations. So as you can imagine, the cartel wasn't exactly thrilled when he was arrested. Immediately following Guzman's arrest, a wave of deadly attacks against law enforcement by the Sinaloa cartel broke out. Many officials were shocked to see the technical capabilities of the cartel, which conducted attacks with truck-mounted LMGs while demanding Guzman's release. The cartel was successful in disabling three infantry ground vehicles and a police attack helicopter and even fired on a commercial airliner at Culiacan International Airport, forcing civilian passengers on the plane to duck and cover. Ultimately, 10 Mexican soldiers and a police officer were killed by the end of the unrest on January 13th, while 19 cartel members were killed. This week-long skirmish was yet another chapter in the seemingly never-ending Mexican drug war. Since the Mexican military launched anti-cartel operations in 2006, syndicates like the Sinaloa Cartel, Jalisco New Generation Cartel, and Gulf Cartel have only grown more powerful, and even civilians have not been spared. In total, as many as 350,000 civilians are believed to have been murdered by organized crime syndicates over the course of the Mexican drug war. Contrary to Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador's claim that the conflict has ended, in 2022, the Mexican drug war was the fifth deadliest ongoing armed conflict in the world, claiming an estimated 8,000 lives in that year alone. The fighting has even spilled over into nearby countries such as El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Belize, and Guatemala. The conflict has also expanded north to Canada, and especially the U.S. In this way, it has complicated the already delicate situation at the Mexico-United States border. The Mexico-United States border is the 10th longest bilateral international border in the world. It is also by far the most frequently traversed border in the world. Every year, approximately 350 million crossings between the U.S. and Mexico are reported. Of course, as is a hot topic in American politics, more undocumented crossings also take place. In 2022, almost 3 million encounters with undocumented immigrants were reported by the U.S. Border Patrol. This has created a major political divide between Americans who believe undocumented immigrants should be deported back to their home countries and those who believe undocumented immigrants should have a pathway to U.S. citizenship. Immigration policy was a primary focus of the presidential administration of Donald Trump, who pledged to build a wall along the Mexico-United States border to curb illegal immigration. Although this proposed border was never completed, the plan strained relations between the U.S. and Mexico. 
Relations have improved during Joe Biden's presidency, but the rate of illegal immigration has increased to record levels. This culminated in the June 2022 discovery of 53 dead Latin American undocumented immigrants in a semi-truck in San Antonio, Texas, in the deadliest immigrant smuggling incident in American history. The Mexico-United States border is considered one of the deadliest international land borders in the world, as heatstroke, dehydration, drowning, vehicle accidents, and homicide have claimed over 10,000 lives at the border since 1994. Many murders, rapes, and other violent crimes at the border are perpetrated by drug cartels or other organized crime syndicates. Perhaps even more detrimental to undocumented immigrants, fears of cross-border organized crime have influenced strict border control policies, forcing many immigrants to rely on potentially dangerous smugglers to transport them across the border. And of course, cross-border crime creating a crisis at the Mexico-United States border is far from a new phenomenon. One series of skirmishes, however, was motivated by a political rather than financial motive. I'm going to tell you all about it, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 80th episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara, Lisa Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. As you may recall from my Franco-Mexican War episode, the death of Benito Juarez ultimately led to the 35-year-long military dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz, also known as the Porfiriato, which began in 1876. By 1910, most Mexicans had grown tired of the Porfiriato and sought more political representation. When a series of deadly labor riots broke out and were blamed on Diaz, wealthy Chihuahua landowner Francisco Madero announced he was running against Diaz in the 1910 presidential election. In turn, Diaz had Madero imprisoned, but Madero successfully escaped, fled to San Antonio, Texas, and reorganized an uprising against the Porfiriato. Diaz resigned in May of 1911 and fled to Paris, France, but the Mexican Revolution was just beginning. Madero was assassinated on the orders of Federal Army General Victoriano Huerta, who soon seized power through a coup d'etat. This resulted in a rebellion of the constitutionalists led by Venustiano Carranza, who wished to put a democratic government back in power. Now, by the time the constitutionalist rebellion broke out, the US military had already deployed troops to the border, fearing that violence would spill across the border. This was especially influenced by Huerta's support for Germany, as tensions were brewing between the two nations due to the increasingly conflicting alliances that would ultimately lead to World War I. 
The first four years of the Mexican Revolution had stayed entirely within Mexico, although several battles saw constitutionalists retreat into the U.S. and surrender to American troops. However, this lack of violence between the U.S. and Mexico would soon come to an abrupt end. On April 9, 1914, nine U.S. Navy sailors were captured at gunpoint and arrested by Mexican soldiers off the Mexican coast city of Tampico. The soldiers were released just over an hour later, but the U.S. demanded a formal apology from Mexico, including a 21-gun salute. Mexico refused, so the U.S. severed diplomatic ties. Additionally, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson, who previously served as governor of New Jersey, authorized an armed invasion of Mexico. A couple weeks later, on April 21, 1914, the U.S. performed an amphibious assault on Veracruz, and it would proceed to occupy the city for the next seven months. In October of 1914, eight American soldiers in Arizona were wounded by gunfire from Mexico, but did not return fire. The next year, supporters of Venustiano Carranza started drafting the Plan of San Diego, a plot to have Arizona, California, New Mexico, and Texas secede from the U.S. and to have all non-Hispanic adult males in these states killed. However, this plan was discovered by the Texas Rangers and FBI in June of 1915, and the key conspirators were arrested. Simultaneously, Victoriano Huerta was ousted by Carranza. Yet, the Mexican Revolution did not end there. Support had been growing for a new revolutionary, this time focused on economic redistribution and land reform. This man, once a peasant laborer, had become a respected member of the anti-Huerta opposition before breaking with Carranza's supporters. Quickly, he became America's public enemy number one. His name was Pancho Villa. Pancho Villa's supporters, known as Villistas, were a famously dogmatic group dedicated to achieving economic equality by any means necessary. In one such incident, the Villistas engaged the Constitutionalists in battle at Nogales, Sonora. The Constitutionalists won the battle, and the Villistas instead traversed the border into Nogales, Arizona, attacking a unit of the U.S. Army. The Americans won, forcing the Villistas to retreat back to Mexico, but one American soldier was killed. Following the Constitutionalist victory at the Battle of Hermosillo, the U.S. and the Constitutionalists formed a reluctant alliance against the Villistas. Opposition to Villa deepened in the U.S. following the Santa Isabel Massacre. On January 12, 1916, Villistas stopped a mining train from Tucson, Arizona that was traveling through the Mexican state of Chihuahua. Eighteen American passengers on the train were captured and summarily executed by the Villistas. The final straw for the U.S. with Villa took place on March 9, 1916. In the early morning on this day, the desperate Villistas raided the town of Columbus, New Mexico for supplies. 
American soldiers and armed civilians in the town realized what was going on and fought back. Villa's forces were forced to retreat, but eight American soldiers and ten American civilians were killed during the Battle of Columbus. As a result of this incursion, Congress and President Wilson authorized what it called the Punitive Expedition. The goal of this mission was to capture Pancho Villa, dead or alive. U.S. Army General John J. Pershing was sent into Mexico with 5,000 men to accomplish this goal, while the U.S. Army National Guard was deployed to the border to quell cross-border attacks by Bilistas. Little did the U.S. know, however, that the border was on the verge of becoming a theater of World War I. The punitive expedition quickly turned into a much larger challenge than anticipated. Due to mass disapproval of an American invasion among the Mexican public, the alliance between the U.S. and the Constitutionalists soon crumbled, and Venustiano Carranza's forces once again began fighting American soldiers. Now, as for the ongoing First World War, the U.S., while officially neutral, had been financially assisting the Entente, consisting of the U.K., France, and Russia. As a result, Mexico, in spite of its desire to improve relations with the U.K. and France, remained neutral, so as not to ally with the U.S. Then, in early 1917, many months into the punitive expedition, British intelligence intercepted and decoded the infamous Zimmerman telegram. This message to Mexico from German Foreign Secretary Arthur Zimmerman requested that Mexico enter World War I as part of the Central Powers. In exchange, Germany would assist Mexico in invading and recapturing the southwestern U.S. states that had previously been seized during the Mexican-American War. Although Mexico continued to practice neutrality even after the telegram was discovered, this incident, along with the singing of the RMS Lusitania, led to the U.S. entering the war as a member of the Allied Powers. In turn, the U.S. military realized it would need to focus its manpower on the war in Europe, rather than the war at the southern border. Consequently, on February 7, 1917, American troops withdrew from Mexico. Although the U.S. took far fewer casualties than Mexico, the punitive expedition was a strategic American failure, as Pancho Villa evaded capture. The Mexican Revolution continued, and the Villistas once again turned on the constitutionalists, who faced additional rebellion by Emiliano Zapata's forces in southern Mexico. Ultimately, the Mexican Revolution came to an end in 1920, when former Carranza ally Alvaro Obregón was elected president. Three years later, Pancho Villa was assassinated on the orders of Obregón, who sought to re-establish an alliance with the U.S. Obregón succeeded in doing so, but although this crucial alliance has continued to this day, the perpetual cycle of death and suffering at the Mexico-United States border also continues. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I really enjoyed learning about it myself. 
If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.